Hello and welcome to this episode in our IPSX podcast series, which takes a look at some of the major trends, changes and innovations which are affecting the world of commercial real estate, or CRE. Today's title is The Importance of Asset Management to Real Estate, and we're going to be taking a look at asset management and what asset management strategies are available following a commercial real estate initial public offering on IPSX's prime market. With me in the studio, there are three lively guests who will have plenty to say on the subject, so let me introduce them. Rob Bold, former CEO of leading international property agents and advisory firms GVA Billfinger. Currently, Rob runs his own consultancy business and is a chairman of both LandAid and of Coyote Group, as well as holding various senior advisory and non-executive director roles, including being a non-executive director of IPSX, the world's first securities exchange dedicated to commercial real estate. And he is also our host for this IPSX-sponsored podcast. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Paul. Good to be here. And I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today to discuss this topic. Indeed, and let me introduce them now. There's Hugh Stevens, Head of London Transactions at Patrizia, which proudly states on its website that it is the leading global partner for pan-European real estate investment. Previously, Hugh worked at AXA, where he worked for 24 years and ended up as Head of UK Transactions. Hugh and his team have been pioneering exponents of putting together JVs and club deals, such as 22 Bishopsgate, Ropemaker Place and the Google HQ at King's Cross, where compatible capital is stitched together to buy an asset and execute a specific business plan. Welcome, Hugh. Good morning. Also with us today is John Jones from Tandem Asset Management. John is proud of his South London roots and has worked in the property sector since graduating from Reading University in 1982. John has worked for investors, developers, occupiers and major public sector organisations, managing large industrial portfolios, major shopping centres, mixed-use schemes, residential and student property and large public sector estates. John is currently the Joint Senior Partner at Tandem Property Asset Management with long-term colleague Lisa Reaver. Tandem is an independent property asset management partnership for clients seeking consistently exemplary service. Welcome, John. Good morning, and thanks uh, for asking me along. (laughs) So welcome all, and let's dive straight in. Asset management is a very live topic following the FCA's publication earlier this year of a new set of rules and guidance after its own asset management market study. Some rules came into place in April, and others are coming on stream in September 2019. But here's a couple of big numbers to start us off. According to the FCA, there is over £1 trillion invested on behalf of private investors and over £3 trillion on behalf of UK pension funds and other institutional investors. Clearly, asset management is of prime importance to all investors, but let's hear what the topic looks like from Rob's perspective. Rob, perhaps you could set out the stall for asset management and what it looks like for the properties that will be admitted to trading on IPSX's market. Thank you, Paul. I think if I can just start off and clarify one point about IPSX. Please do. IPSX, International Property Securities Exchange, the definition is in the title. We are a new regulated stock exchange for real estate. It doesn't necessarily have to be commercial real estate. It can be residential. But to the point about asset management, that is really important. Yes, it's it's regulated by the FCA uh, themselves, the the Financial Conduct Authority. Exactly so. And why is that so important in terms of the length of importance of asset management? It's really important because we are listing 
single asset companies. And those single asset companies are effectively generating revenue. So it is really important the occupiers of that space are happy because that is generating the dividend yields that flow to investors when they come in to buy a share on the exchange. So just picking up on that single asset real estate company. Yes. A company is set up that owns a single piece of commercial real estate, whether it's an office or a football stadium Correct. or a shopping center, or maybe a, a, you're allowing some sets of similar assets, aren't you? Certainly. So in terms of assets with commonality, similar tenant, same geographical location, effectively that can be a single asset company in the context. So if you want to draw an example, a big business park, as you say, a big shopping centre, a group of hotels with a, a similar tenant in there, but effectively that wrapper is a single asset company. That is then traded on our exchange in terms of coming to the market of prospectuses put together, the details of the business plan and how the revenues that are going to be generated going forward, absolutely critical because an investor gets clarity of their investment in an asset that they can recognize. It's really all about democratizing real estate. It doesn't exist at the moment. Some skeptics may say, but isn't that what the London Stock Exchange does in respect of REITs? And the answer is, as well as democratization, this is about transparency. People can actually relate to the company they're investing in because they recognize the single assets or group of assets that they can see, feel, touch, shop in. Mm. Hugh, looking at this from an investor's perspective, is that something that you think there is an appetite for? Almost certainly. If we take a step back for a moment, what is currently uh, lacking in many aspects of our real estate is choice, liquidity, particularly for large lot size assets. Liquidity is certainly an impediment to active trading and the discovery of price and valuation. So from an investor's point of view, IPSX in effect solves many of the challenges that the real estate industry has been grappling with over the last 30 or 40 years. It provides a forum within which liquidity for large lot size assets can be broken down. And indeed, because it's so transparent, investors have the ability to choose between whether they invest in a football stadium or an office building or a group of hotels. Currently, of course, that avenue is partially closed to them because either they can invest in REITs, a real estate a, a investment, investment trust, trust yeah. which is essentially a uh, where a company groups together a collection of assets. But of course, in a portfolio sense, you get different performances from different types of assets. With a single asset property quoted on IPSX, you make a very specific choice about whether you invest in a particular asset or not. We're going to be looking at that in a separate podcast, which is about that investment strategy that people can can take as opposed to a REIT, which may have a large portfolio, this single asset. And there have been funds that have been managing quite narrowly focused things, which have been outperforming the, the broader portfolio. So the single asset real estate company seems to have an advantage. Yes. That's something that you, you're seeing an um, appetite for? Most certainly. As I said, from a large investor's point of view, sometimes they might decide to invest in one asset. But for smaller pension funds, 
currently large assets are outside their reach. So in that respect, IPSX provides those smaller pension funds and indeed, might I say, retail investors the opportunity to make investments in assets which they can't currently gain exposure to. Yes, it will give us all an opportunity to gain access to this important asset class. John, then looking at that as an idea, these properties are going to be coming onto the exchange. This is where then the asset management itself comes into play because they're going to be a key focus for the individual investor. How is this property going to be run? And this is where your expertise comes in. What do you think best practice looks like for these companies that are going to be listed on the on the exchange? In simple terms, this is a physical asset, the building. So you've got to look at it in a number of ways. It's occupied, so you have a tenant or what we might describe as a customer now taking that space. They're going to have a contractual obligation to pay a rent, and that rent equivalent to an income, as Rob described, is your dividend. So you've got to look after both the physical asset and you've also got to look after the tenant as customer, and you've also got to protect for the investors, first and foremost, that income, which is their dividend. So you're looking at some absolute fundamentals and be able to report on those. So your rents, make sure they're coming in, they're protected, and you can demonstrate that they come in all the time to make that uh, dividend payable. Then you've got to look at the customer, the tenant, how's he occupying, the terms he's occupying, is he satisfied with the space, can more be done, how else can we work with them to tweak that arrangement so that we might look to add, start to add value to the investment as well. And then on top of that, there might be the opportunity to really look at some super added value opportunities, whether it be reconfiguring some of the space, reintroducing some different uses, or perhaps to extend the term of their existing arrangement, again, extending that rental, that dividend, looking mm. at the values. Have you got some examples of where that's happened or, or some, some ideas that have really added value to an asset? Well, again, when we're talking about assets, we've got to look at the the different nature of them. Very much for IPSX, they're going to be looking at larger single assets, perhaps with more single tenanted buildings. So how can you look at extending the lease? How can you look at extending and increasing the rental value is going to be the first point. You might do that from reconfiguration of the space. Can you create more space from the same property? Can you look at perhaps changes to the ground floor space? Because we're seeing now in a lot of new development that ground floor space is where the activity is, where the theatre is. Would it be retail? Will it be leisure? And perhaps narrowing down in an office, for example, narrowing down the office entrances and actually using the ground floor space, which might be more valuable as retail and leisure than it is on the upper floors. They can be a big trophy building with a big statement reception. But again, I've seen receptions recently where we're introducing art, we're introducing more furniture, we're even introducing a degree of flexible space and workspace into the reception area, perhaps with a coffee pod Mm -hmm. or more connectivity. And this is all about keeping the tenant happy and and keeping the tenant on site. But also keeping up to date as well. So Mm. You've got, you know, your base level compliance, health and safety, all your M&E equipment, all got to be maintained and up to date as much as possible. M&E is mechanical, mechanical electrical, 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 engineering, your heating, your ventilation 
innovation. But at the same time, we're now looking at things around sustainability is important. We're looking at connectivity and wired scored as a measurement of, of that connectivity in the building. So mm. these are effectively improvements in that space all the time. Uh, not just the base, not just the compliance, but actual improvements in the quality of the building. Mm. Rob, I mean, you were talking about space as a service earlier. Is this then how you see this, this tenant retention idea going in the future? Definitely. I mean, I think the market we're in at the moment is starting to look at ways to keep that solid income flow. And IPSX, the exchange, is about consistency of income. It's not about development. It's giving a dividend continually to the investors. So quite boring, actually. But how important is the asset manager to these companies on IPSX? It's fundamental. No tenant, no income. And I think there is a trend at the moment, and John referenced WiredScored in terms of internet connectivity. That is one element of what we're living through at the moment. And some of the comparables I know we were talking about before we came on air was what we work were doing, an incredible phenomenon in terms of how they are dealing with their customers. And that's what we see IPSX as being part of. It's a new exchange, we a new market to allow those customers to get the experience they need to generate the dividend. Perhaps you could just explain what WeWork uh, has been doing for, for those who haven't. So WeWork is a major serviced office provider. It is very much constructed on the basis of a membership. And when I last looked, they had something like 600,000 members in terms of using serviced office space and serviced, John can go into some of the detail in terms of what services are, but it is very much a membership arrangement. So that's in uh, using that space for an office concept. If you look at a parallel in the residential area and something that is now starting to flow, you have the collective, again, uh, residential living in terms of The collective of this, in Old Oak Common in Ealing. Indeed so. And they have their new facility at Canary Wharf, which was launched last week. And this is very much providing the generational services as space as a service. So actually a, a lot more than a landlord and tenant relationship. It's a sharing environment. It's a it? sharing it's environment. It's creating that shared space. But before we look at that, Hugh, just on Rob's point about how important asset management is, what sort of questions do you think the investor should be asking of these single asset real estate companies? How, how should they look sure. at it? And in your position as advisor to funds, what sort of information and data do you sometimes get to look at that the retail investor doesn't normally sure, see? Sure, sure. I'll come back to that in a, in a moment. If I can just pick up on what John and Rob were saying. 20 or 30 years ago, an investor's um, security of income was in a lease contract, which were usually 25 years or even 20 years in, in duration. And the point I'm going to make now is the importance of modern asset management. Today, lease contracts are much, much shorter. So therefore, uh, the importance of the asset manager in demonstrating their capabilities in providing continual income is not only in the skill set of the asset manager, but in the 
form and structure of the buildings. So Rob mentioned that space is a service. Now more and more, the real estate industry is more and more customer facing. So therefore, from an investor's point of view, their reliance on a lease contract is much reduced relative to the skill set and demonstrable skill set of the asset manager in attracting tenants to a particular building. So from an investor's point of view, whether the investor is an institutional investor or indeed a retail investor, what their primary focus on is on income. And let's not forget that a lot of people are obsessed with total returns or IRRs. The big component of total return or IRR is is, is internal rate of return, which is the measure that the entire uh, financial industry uh, uses to gauge whether an investment is a good investment or or not a good investment. But the major component of IRR is income. And we must never forget that income really is the key driver and the key motivator for investors to invest in real estate. So going back to your question, therefore, in a world where lease contracts are becoming shorter and shorter, the emphasis and the skill set of the asset manager and the quality of the underlying real estate are of supreme importance in ensuring continuity of income. But then also looking at the income, and one thing that eats into income is cost, obviously, which then, John, how much is a cost a, a driver in asset management or property management itself? Well, again, it, it comes down to, first of all, that lease contract will have obligations for both the owner, the landlord, and also for the occupier, the customer, the tenant. So it, first of all, let's look at that in simple terms. If it's owned, you want to protect the value of that asset. So you're always going to have an eye on the important elements of that, the fabric, the structure, the main services, the key services. But it might actually be the tenant's responsibility under their contract to maintain those uh, aspects of the building. So the asset manager in this case has got a real watching eye to make sure that those things are being looked after and maintained properly. Because look at the life cycle of them. Is there any planned maintenance in place to make sure that that asset and going forward is protected? Because if you're protecting both the, the fabric, the structure and the service, is going forward, then actually what you're doing is you're making sure that you're protecting your income going forward. So it could be that you have a more hands-on role, but it could be that you're also monitoring uh, tenants' performance of those. Taking Hugh's point again about those shortening lease lengths, always got to have a mind to shortening lease lengths. Does the building itself, do the services within that, what's the length of lifespan for those? When do they need replacing? Have you got planned maintenance in place? And setting that against perhaps the lease length, looking at making sure the occupier wants to stay. Have they got designs to move to bigger space or contract to smaller space? Do they want to uh, move out of town? We've seen a number of the big city office users look at back office space perhaps and moving to uh, regional cities like Birmingham. That might mean contracting in certain parts. So therefore, you've got to look at reletting or you've got to continue the income on that space. You need to understand the physical structure as well and therefore the costs of maintaining to make sure that you look at the lifespan for both the building and therefore the income from those tenants. Looking at it then from the, the IPSX point of view, we're talking about the tenant mix and then also the building maintenance. One of the things that, that strikes me as key is the valuation every six months or the fact that you have a transparency 
through listing on the exchange that is ongoing. Perhaps you could explain a bit about that. There is a requirement from the guidelines for the exchange for the listed companies that are on the exchange to have a six-monthly valuation, which currently is on a red book basis because in terms of valuation in the UK, that and from the FCA's point of view, the Financial Conduct Authority, the regulator, they want to see a regular valuation now. What is a red book basis? Or uh, that's so just the standard? That's the standard. And again, uh, some of the listeners on this podcast will be aware of red book. It is backward looking. It is based on comparables, historical comparables of other investors trading. But this is a really important point, Paul, because... What we are talking about in terms of single asset companies is all about cash flow. And asset management, as John has just eloquently described, is keeping that cash flow moving it. Now, from a valuation point of view, if you have very good asset management initiatives, then that cash flow actually should be reflected in a red book backward-looking valuation. But it's actually more about free cash flow that should be valued against a multiplier, a multiplier against EBITDA. And one of the points that I want to bring out in this is the importance of brand. And I've referenced earlier on the idea of WeWork, but I can see with IPSX, with a number of single asset companies coming to the market, IPOs, and then staying on the exchange, there is a huge opportunity for asset management companies to develop a brand to actually take those services forward against single assets on IPSX. It's a new opportunity in a market that is not, it's a difficult market at the moment. So that's about the kind of the property management itself and creating a, a flavor or a style. It's about placemaking in a way, but, but placemaking in a single asset. Can you imagine, though, taking real estate as a mainstream asset class and again, out with our industry, having a John Lewis effect? I go to John Lewis because there is value. You are actually using the power of a brand to actually develop. And that's why I think... We work have been so successful. And if you valued brands, and you can value brands for those experts in the market, there is a huge amount of money to be put against a WeWork brand. I won't compare to the other serviced operators, John. There are many hundreds, I believe, but they are a standout. So you can imagine using asset management as a brand to say, this is going to be a successful IPO on IPSX. Because actually, the asset manager there has got such a powerful brand to make this investment grow and perform. Is that something you, you agree with, John? Yeah, absolutely. As Rob described, brand has a big impact, can have a big impact, and, and does in lots of different ways already. If we could apply that to those properties on IPSX and look at how we can do the simple things very well. So consistency of reporting, making sure that the data that we accumulate and that we report because it's a requirement, as are the valuations, that that's all really up to date, always delivered on time and always of high quality so that people can really see 
what they're investing in and what they've got. So that that's a fundamental. But you can you can brand that. You can show that. It doesn't have to be one asset. It's across all assets. And if you keep that consistency, people then get used to that. They like a lot with brand. They like a lot of consistency. They can expect it on this date. They can see the report. They get what they're expecting. They can see where the, the pluses and minuses are and what the opportunities are. In many respects, I think this will feed through into the share price of the individual assets because if there is a recognition that a building is managed using rob's example by someone who has the halo effect of being recognized as the john lewis of the property industry then by and large i think the share price of the uh, those assets will be improved and investors might well gravitate more and more to those it builds confidence. It, yes yeah. confidence and confidence breeds success yeah. and it becomes a virtuous yeah, yeah. circle i agree in terms of the fundamentals of tenant retention, can you sum those up? John, what do you think? These are all sort of quite you know, straightforward but very essential. Communication. You know, when you're talking to a tenant or a customer, increasingly, as you referred to, that customer effect, treat them like a customer. They're asking you for what service, what information, what reports, what details they need to run their business. How are they going to run their business in that space? So therefore, treat them as a customer. And that means good communication with them. It's not always good news. We all go around seeing bad news sometimes, but actually if you communicate that properly and you provide answers, you give updates and you give sometimes solution to those problems, that's just as important. So the communication is, is absolutely key. Giving them opportunity as well. So understanding what the change in their business is going to be. So again, there's an awful lot of information about the bigger corporates and the smaller SMEs out there. Understanding their business. What are they doing? How do they use the space? How do they want to use that space going forward? Understand where the changes in their business plan might be in two to three to five years. Well, one of the things that's feeding into this as well is the, the building information management. The sheer amount of data that is now going to be coming out of individual buildings. How does that apply in terms of this communication and this response to change? I, I, just before John answers that, the property industry is known for its opaqueness. <laughs> you know, that, that's the way, and people use that as a competitive advantage. But the data point that you make on BIM, building information systems, which has been around a few years now in terms of where it's at, but this whole data point, whether it's BIM, whether it's being tenants retention rates, whatever, the industry itself in this freedom of data is part of one of these big trends. And we are getting, whether we like it or not, more transparent. That's a bit of an anathema to some property people, I have to say, because they like keep things very quiet. But with the move of CoStar, with the move of EGI, putting data out there all the time now, it is a trend, just as space as a service is a trend that's here to stay, and it's going to become more prevalent. Yes, I mean, you said that IPSX is, is arriving in an arena that, which is being subjected to incredible change right Massive across the board, yeah. and that you were quite clear to say that IPSX is not a panacea, it's not a solution no. to everything, it's a small part of this change. But the transparency and the sheer volume of data and how it applies to keeping tenants who are becoming more demanding and, and require more flexibility. And in Hughes' face, you know, we just had MIFID II, which is a financial instrument directive. And for some people, as old as me, 
they are starting to get their pension statements and now all fund managers have to start declaring what they're charging. And one of the things, and it's not a universal panacea for every piece of real estate, one of the things about IPSX is transparency and the cost of running these vehicles. It has to be put out there. The fund management world, and who's better position than I to comment on this, are now having to put out the charges, which historically have been well hidden, in my opinion. Yeah, it's the bright light of disclosure. And and thank goodness we are having this level of disclosure or this improved level of disclosure. But the important thing, let's just take a step back. The ideal property, if we're talking about an office building, the ideal property f- for an office building on IPSX is not a single-tenanted office building, really. It is a multi-tenanted office building where essentially the office is a community. It's a community of uh, like-minded people who gravitate to that building because of the vitality and attractiveness of that office building. So therefore, the intrinsic qualities of that building, the attractions of that building, coupled with the skill set of the asset manager to improve the level and resilience of the income, is that that's what we're really talking about for IPSX. And the value of IPSX multi-tenanted office buildings with a good brand is likely to be much improved relative to a passively managed investment. So disclosure of the business plan, of doing what the asset manager says at the commencement of that business plan, that is where you build confidence and uh, value from an investment point of view. So you're looking at listing properties on the exchange later on this year. Yes. And how long do you think it's going to take before this full disclosure and this pressure starts to build through more and more properties coming onto the exchange. Do you see it as being a quick process or is this going to be a um, five years down the line? No. From the exchange's point of view, to be able to list, you have to give disclosure at day one. And as Hugh has said, that would include a business plan and it would include an asset management plan in terms of how that building is going to perform looking forward as opposed to backwards. What will happen with IPSX is that it gives an opportunity to asset slash property managers, but effectively it will be part of what I see that is happening in the market anyway in terms of transparency. It will just accelerate it. Do I think it's going to take five years? I think it'll be a lot faster than that, mainly because the assets that IPSX are bringing to the market, there is a requirement before you can list to have greater transparency. So it will add to a movement that is already in train, I believe. Looking at those property managers, where do you see, do you have examples in the country of best practice of a well-run estate that you think is particularly impressive, John? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a point to make first is that property management and asset management, as Rob refers to, let's just close that one off. Too many property managers, in my experience, love to deal with what I would call facilities management. They want to get down into dealing with contracts. They want to get down into dealing with security and cleaning. Now, it's not that they're not important aspects. But they can be dealt with by professional facilities managers and should be dealt with by professional facilities managers. We've also now got an awful lot of data 
complex accounting, cash flows, as Rob referred to, really important to demonstrate cash flow in a building going forward for that valuation. So we we would be expecting qualified accountants within our team to work on those issues. So you've got professional facilities managers, you've got qualified accountants dealing with large parts of the, the work required to manage that building. That means your asset manager is your controller, your conductor. He's got to understand those elements, but then he's got to translate those for both the occupier as customer and also for the owners and the investors and translate them into the business plan, to the added value, to the asset management opportunities going forward. And then again, going right back to our point about how to protect and enhance the income. So strategic vision, but what, just trying to pin you down to an example, where do you see a particular uh, asset having that strategic vision as opposed to just top quality facilities management and top quality well, I, th- I think if I was going to look at an asset over a long period of time uh, and, I, and I walked around recently I'd, I'd look at Broadgate as a sort of scheme in its own right British land scheme obviously and look at the changes that have gone on over a long period of time now it started off as something quite unique it had an essentially an office environment but with a lot of theatre and of course the, the central plaza where they put the ice rink and the leisure and the retail but of course over the years now they've had to adapt and change and develop some of that scheme so that it's more up to date, it's more modern, it makes better use of the space. But overall, the management, the estate management, the facilities, which is dealt with by professional teams, the property management that is that curator, and the asset management, which is looking at the opportunities, all of those have been done in an exemplary way, in my view. So this will force, in our view, profound changes in the asset management industry. And John's quite right to draw the distinction between facilities or commodity management and added value, which is really where the asset manager role uh, should really kick in. And the example of Broadgate is a pertinent example because it is moved with the times. And now, of course, British Land and uh, their partners, GIC, are fully exploiting the latent potential of the Broadgate estate. In essence, it's turning itself into much more of a placemaking area where people want to live, work and play in the same complex. I'm not sure they necessarily live in the same complex, (laughs) but you you, you get my point. It's more of a cohesive environment. I have to say, Paul, asset manager and property management have been the Cinderella of the real estate industry for decades. It's now that it's coming to the fore. And Hugh referred earlier on to total returns, i.e. the income element and then the capital value growth that came about because yields were compressing. Well, quantitative easing has stopped. Yields aren't going to go any lower. So what this is all about is new opportunities. And Broadgate is a fabulous example of that. But actually, where are the other Broadgates? And where are the other companies that are actually developing it? You've got the big landed estates, Grosvenor, Crown Estate, etc. But in terms of the asset class, the opportunity is huge for asset managers. Well, a very good positive note to end on. A big thank you to our guests for today's podcast, Hugh Stevens and John Jones, and also to our IPSX sponsor today, Rob Bold. My name's Paul Shearer. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to this IPSX podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. All of our future episodes will be on there. You can also follow the conversation on our Twitter feed at IPSX underscore property or take a look through our website www.ipsx.com.